thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for all that you have done uh, through these people. Lord, I want to thank you for the many joys, the many moments we've celebrated together. I want to thank you for just incredible breakthroughs. I want to thank you, Lord, that uh, you birthed something out of nothing when you brought this people together. And Lord, that you continue to birth new life. Lord, even as uh, obviously with what Gary brought in the prayer meeting this morning, we do pray that you would breathe on dry bones, Lord, within the church, but with, with in the context of this town as well. And so, Father, I do pray your continued blessing over these people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't swear, there's a few in the room that would have um, been around uh, at my, yes, Elaine's doing her jazz hands. Um, uh, when I first spoke, uh, I don't expect any of you can remember at all what I spoke on. Uh, that's okay. I won't hold it against you. Um, I did do a count this week that this is my 340th sermon at the church. Um, so... <laughs> I think I should be applauding you for listening for so long and uh, just putting up with me. So I, I, I worked out that um, if I've done 340 sermons and they are roughly half an hour each, um, that's 770 hours of sermon listening, uh, which equates to just over seven and a half days, 24 hours a day, listening to me waffle. So I think I, I'm going to applaud you all for uh, just you know going through that over the years. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Um, my first sermon to you was about the baptism of the Spirit. And I think there are two, two things that I think in my whole or in our lives in terms of our involvement with New Frontiers um, over the years, uh, two sort of key areas that I feel that God absolutely got hold of me in. One was the baptism of the Spirit, experiencing this new life that comes when the Spirit comes on us. And, you know, as, as, as Mick will continue to lead you and pray for the Spirit of God over you, please, please run after it. It so quickly can be lost. And, and, and just the Spirit moving, hovering, Speaking to you is so incredibly important. And that was my, my first talk was on baptism of the Spirit. My last talk to you is about the doctrine of grace. If we lose the doctrine of grace, we have lost a big chunk of who God is and what he is about. And I think it's probably, it's probably the one doctrine that has impacted me most in terms of my understanding of my relationship with God, who he is and what he has done for me. And I hope this morning as we just re-look at this, which you've heard many times, I'd love, I'd love a whole sermon series every Sunday to be about grace. If we miss grace, we, we miss it all. And this is this amazing doctrine that, uh, that, that Jesus has brought to us. So often I've heard over the years a sense of in believers, this sense of drivenness to relate to God. Somehow I need to pray more. Somehow I need to read my Bible more. Somehow I just need to be the next thing, witnessing to the next person, whatever it may be. 
And there's this, this, this drivenness that comes upon us or can come upon us that actually binds us up. It almost becomes a cloud over us. That I just, I just feel I'm not walking well with God right now because I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that and I'm not feeding the, the poor. And, I'm, and actually, God has broken us free from condemnation. And that is the doctrine of grace. Does that mean his standard for us is somehow lessened? Are those things not important? Yes, they are important. But because of grace, we have this new way of relating to God that doesn't come through the, what the Old, the Old Testament would call the law, but it comes from this relationship that he has done it all. And there is nothing I can do to earn God's love more for me than what he's already shown me. And so this whole mindset of being driven, I believe, is something that God would rob us of knowing this amazing doctrine of grace. Paul most famously writes about it. We're just going to look at a few verses in, in Romans. Um, so if you have a Bible, just, just, it might be useful just to have that in front of you or on your phone if you've got that. We've got a few key texts that hopefully will be on the screen as well. If you could just put up the first one for me, that would be great. Excellent. Romans 5. In Romans 5, Paul is arguing that in the same way that sin came in through one man, Adam, that because of his sin, his sin affected the whole of human mankind. It's like when you put, I don't know, a drop of color into a white mixture and suddenly this color affects everything. And Paul is arguing in this passage about Adam's sin that's come into the world and how much that has affected every one of us. And then he comes to this new Adam, this, this Jesus that broke into this sin-broken world and he brought his righteousness. And this gift of grace, this gift of righteousness that comes through Christ has been given to you. That's Paul's argument. Just the same way sin came through Adam, righteousness through grace comes through Jesus. And this one verse in, in Romans 5 sort of sums up this argument. This is what he says. For if by the trespass of one man, Adam, death reigned through that one, one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. How much more will we reign in life? Does it feel like you're reigning in life? What does reigning in life look like for you? How does that in your heart, in your mind, just think, Jesus, I'm reigning in life. Why? Oh, because I'm reading my Bible more, I'm praying more, I'm working hard. Da, 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 da. No, no, no. I'm reigning in life because of the gift of grace, the provision of grace to you. Do you know the Bible, particularly New Testament language, always talks about believers who understand grace in this way, that they're reigning, that Jesus leads us into triumph, that we're more than conquerors. Not because of us, 
but because of this amazing grace that he has shown us. These are extravagant statements. These aren't this little, well, you know, if you do a little bit today, you will feel possibly if you do the right thing, I will reign. No, no, no. These are declarations over believers of what God has done for you and for me. We reign in life. Does it feel like that today for you? Do you feel, do you know that you are reigning in life? Well, Steve, it's, I guess it's not exactly where I am right now. It's not exactly what I feel. Do you know what those moments, certainly in my life, there's moments when you think you're really raining. You've be, been to perhaps to a conference and you've just had the most amazing experience. You've had wonderful worship. You've heard great teaching. And, I, and you sort of come out of a conference mode. Um, I remember years ago when we used to take quite a few guys to the, to the Leaders Conference in Brighton. And I felt for the people who were back here at home because, you know, the next Sunday, everybody's pumped. They're ready to rock. God is great. He's on the throne. He's doing all this amazing stuff. We've been to a conference and we're reigning in life because it's refreshed us in God. And that's not wrong. But what can happen is that in those moments, our motivation can be led by the experience that we've just had in that week. Actually, to reign in life is day by day. It's not a conference moment. It's to know him. Perhaps sometimes at the, um, at the end of the year, you sort of come to end of December, you've got through Christmas, and that dreaded 1st of January date is just around the corner. And you think, right, this year, we're going to take God seriously. We're going to do something amazing. I'm going to reign in life. I've got a fresh page in my diary. It's blank. And I set myself some goals of what I'm going to do. Those aren't wrong. But if our motivation is to think that God loves us more because we're doing that, we're not reigning in life. We're not reigning in life. It's like there are two doors that we can choose. You know, like in Alice in Wonderland when she's standing in the corridor. So which door do I go through? We can go through the door of grace or we can go through a door of law. And the door of law will bring death to us. And we can get into this mindset at the beginning of the year that, okay, this year, Lord, I am going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to set myself a goal and I'm going to do it every day. Okay, so that's about seven and a half chapters a day. And I'm going to do it. It's not wrong, but if your motivation is that God will love me more because I do it, then you've lost this gift of grace. Do you know what, Lord? I'm going to pray more. I'm going to do, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set my clock half an hour earlier every day so I can get up and spend time with God. It's not wrong unless your motivation is that God will love you more for it. Do you know what? This year, Lord, I think you've been speaking to me about sharing my faith more. And I'm going to set myself a target that every day I'm going to go out and speak to someone. Every day I'm going to witness to someone. It's not wrong unless your motivation is that God will love you more for it. 
So there was one story I heard where this guy decided to do this, that he was going to witness to somebody every day. And he'd had a particularly tough day at work. It'd been a long day. And he got into bed. His head hit the pillow. And he said, I haven't witnessed to somebody today. And so he got, gets dressed. He gets out in the street. And he's looking for somebody just to share the gospel with. He suddenly had become under this law, this rule mindset that, God, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. And actually, he'd lost what grace looks like. Have we got to a place where we just feel we've got to keep rules to keep God happy? That's not what the grace talks to us. Paul's letter to the Galatians, which is probably Paul's most angriest letter to the churches. So if you don't know anything about Paul, he's a missionary, he planted lots of churches, and he's writing letters back to the churches that he's planted. In some cases, he's encouraging them, saying, guys, you're doing great. Other places, he's hearing about things that are going on, haven't gone so well. And in Galatia, things had turned a little bit sour. And his, his letter back to them is, he starts by, guys, who has bewitched you? You know, who has confused you from what I taught you? And he's like on their case. And he says, do you know what? Some of you have what he calls fallen from grace. He's fallen from grace. Now, often when we talk about it in our context, I think we often talk about when we've heard about, let's try and think of a name of somebody who's not in the church. Charles. Don't think we've ever had a Charles, have we? No, I think we're safe with Charles. Where's Charles? We haven't seen Charles recently. Do you know what? He just doesn't come along anymore. Do you know what? He looks like he's just backsliding and stuff. He just feels like he's fallen from grace. We often use it in that context that when we don't see somebody for a while and they just seem to be drifting off, that they've fallen from grace. Paul is not talking about backsliders when he's writing to the Galatians. He's talking about people who, who knew grace and are sliding back into law. And when he sees that, he's saying, guys, you're falling from grace. You're going back to an old way. Now, if you know anything about the church in Galatia, it was a, a new church that he birthed. Amazing things were happening. People were getting saved. There were healings. There were signs and wonders. God was doing an amazing stuff. And Paul sort of set them on their way, and he carried on his missionary journey. And after Paul had left, there were a group of Judaeans who, who were Christians but had come from the Jewish faith. And they sort of came in behind Paul and said, guys, you're doing great. So it's good to see that God's doing some amazing stuff amongst you. But in order for you to be really sure that God's still with you, there are a few things that you perhaps ought to be doing as well. It would be good for you to keep the Sabbath holy, keep it as you know, the day, it would be good for you, perhaps you men, obviously, to be circumcised, just to be sure, be good to make sure that you eat particular foods, it would be good for you to keep the feast days, and these guys were adding to these believers who encountered grace, and suddenly they were being asked to do, well, as long as you add these things to your faith and add these things to your faith, you'll be okay. And Paul's like, what are you doing? Who bewitched you? Why have you fallen from grace? Why are you going back into 
law. Do you know what? You might not hear it so much in our day that we're going to say, right, okay, chaps, off down Weymouth Hospital. We're all going to circumcise you. We don't often say that. Don't think we've ever said that. But we could say, your story could be, you hear the gospel and you get gloriously saved. Hallelujah. You've done nothing to earn it. You've seen it. You've heard it. You've received it in your heart. You know what Jesus has done for you. I found freedom in Christ. And then your story could be that helpful people, and they are wanting to be helpful, come alongside you and say, it's fantastic that you've been saved. Now, we'd just like to encourage you to start to read your Bible every day. Oh, okay. Tick. Be really good just to set aside time to pray. Okay, tick. And maybe you want to think about some of the types of clothes you're wearing. Maybe you need to make some changes there. Oh, okay, tick. Um, maybe, maybe you ought to do your hair a little bit differently. It's a little bit wild at the moment. Okay, tick. You see what's happening? Helpful believers wanting to help a new person in their new faith, are suddenly adding to them all this law. Suddenly they're being weighed down with the expectation, I've suddenly got to be all these things, whereas the freedom that they just found in Christ is being lost, and suddenly law is coming on them. What happened to me? I thought Jesus had set me free. I thought I'd found God. And all I seem to have found is religious responsibility. That's not the story of grace. Do you know, it cuts against us because everything you're, I think in your heads, you're going, but Steve, it's good to pray. It's good to read your Bible. It's good. It is. But it's not how we relate to God. He has saved us through grace and nothing of our own work. So how do we relate to the law? I'm going to ask you a question. I will do this. I'm going to ask you a question. Are Christians under law? Are Christians, just have a think about it. Are Christians under law? Jesus says the law will never pass away. All right? Are Christians under law? Paul says you are no longer under the law. Are Christians under law? Jesus says the law will never pass away. Paul says you are no longer under the law. Have a think about that question. Because how we answer that question will determine how we relate to our Father. It will utterly change how you relate to God and who you believe he is. If you believe you are either under the law or no longer under the law. Let's start, just flick over if you can to uh, Romans 7. Just a couple of chapters on. Paul has been arguing since his model of, of looking at Adam and Jesus through chapter six. He's continuing to talk about grace. To, you know, does, does grace mean that you know anything goes? And he said, absolutely no, it doesn't mean that at all. It actually raises the bar, it doesn't lower it. And then he comes to the beginning of chapter seven, and he be gives us this little sort of parable, really, looking at our relationship with our father through what marriage looks like. This is the example that he gives to us. Just see what he says here. Do you know, brothers, 
For I am speaking to men who know the law. I'm speaking to people who knew what the law was, the Old Testament law. And that law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by a law, sorry, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she is married, marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by our sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to once what what to want once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. It's an example. It's a picture of our marriage in our relationship to God. Our marriage was originally the law. That's how they used to relate to God. He was, if you like, this metaphorical husband. He was accusing. He was unforgiving in one sense. He had authority. And he told us that we could never make the grade. That's what the law did. Do you know what? Satan's biggest weapon against me and against you is accusation saying you are not good enough. That is his biggest weapon against us. I just haven't made it, Lord. I am a lousy Christian. I failed you again. I've mucked up. And he will keep coming, and he will keep coming, and he will keep coming, and he will accuse you. It's because we relate to God through the law. Lord, I didn't, uh, God, I didn't keep the standard. I failed you again. See, the law is good. It's right. It's honorable. But when we fall short of it, we fail. But Jesus, uh, Paul says here, but you died to the law. See, there was one who was able to fulfill the law in every way. Our hope is in verse 4. Brothers, you also died to the law. Are we under law as believers? No, that was a resounding, oh, I think it's no. You died to the law. You died to the law. You died to the law. You are no longer under law. You are under grace. That's what it teaches us. We die to the law. Why? Through the body of Jesus. He was the only one who was able to fulfill the law completely. 
There are two things, I think, about Jesus and the law that we see in Scripture. The first thing, he is utterly, totally innocent to the law. He has not failed it by one dot or one crossing of the T or one iota. He fulfilled it utterly. He is the only one who will ever fulfill the law totally. Through him, through him, he fulfills the law. He is totally innocent. That's his first thing. The second thing is this, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Him, perfect in every way, fulfills the law in every way, completes it in every way, dies in our place so that we may have his righteousness. The great exchange at the cross. We receive his righteousness as he takes our sin. He is our propitiation. Absolutely. Propitiation is a big Christian word, biblical word. Basically means that he took upon himself something that we couldn't do. So if you remember, I always think about Apollo 13. Do you remember Apollo 13 film? When they are coming back into Earth's orbit and they're in the little capsule and it's starting to burn and they're wondering whether the heat shield is going to last. Well, that propitiation shield is deflecting what was due to them. They should have been incinerated, but that shield protected them. That's why Jesus is our propitiation. He took upon him what we should have had. That's him perfectly. God judged Jesus against the law. He didn't judge you against the law. He judged Jesus against the law. And the law was fully and totally upheld in Christ. He was cursed. He took our death. He took our punishment. I have been crucified with Christ. I have died to the law through Christ. That's what Paul's arguing. You are no longer under law. You are under grace. I've heard people say over the years that I've been here, I understand grace, but surely I need some of the law to sanctify me. Surely I need to have some of those rules and regulations, just help me become more Christ-like. Uh-uh, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's false thinking. The Bible teaches that we are utterly and totally under grace and not under law. It's very quickly and very easily we can slip back into, okay, I get grace, but I now need to add some law into my daily walk with him. Verse 6 talks about us being discharged. If you imagine you're a soldier, we had some ex-soldiers in the room. Tony's on the parade ground, and his commanding officer for years has been dictating to him, right, Tony, stand here, do this, do that, do the other. And like Tony being a good soldier that he is, will obey and will do those things. He's been shouted at for years. And then the day of his discharge comes. And he's walking across the parade ground. He's got his coat flung over his shoulder. He's happy as Larry because he's no longer being bound. 
And the sergeant major or the commanding officer shouts, Hey, Tony! At ease! Stand to attention! Whatever you need to do. I said, oh, I've got to do it. I've got to go. Oh, no, no. I've been discharged. I'm no longer under that authority. That's what the law was like. You've had it shouting at you, telling you you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to be this, you've got to be the other. Got to da, 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 da. You've been discharged. You're under grace. My relationship with God is not dependent upon me achieving standards. It's dependent on me understanding he loves me as a son. Totally and utterly. Do you notice that Paul talks about bearing fruit in this passage? He never talks about bearing fruit under the law. The law never bore fruit. It brought condemnation. It brought you that you are not good enough. You can't make the grade. But when we relate to our new husband, as Paul puts it in this parable, this new husband, Jesus, who brings righteousness to us through grace and not law, the result of that is that we will bear fruit. I'm no longer living by the letter, but I'm living by the Spirit. I believe, I really believe for you guys, there is a new wave of relating to him again. I think for some of you, you've lost the joy of grace over you. I just feel that there is a new season. As you go into all that Mick and Trees are going to lead you into the next three months, six months, years ahead. Do never, 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 never lose this amazing grace that he's shown you. Don't ever come to him thinking that you aren't good enough. You're not good enough, but Jesus is. Jesus is utterly good enough. You think you impress him? Think you impress God? You don't. You don't. I don't impress God. Jesus is the one who impresses the Father. And it's in him that we have been been saved. Just a couple of couple of things I think just to help you with. The battle with condemnation. You know, I think for every one of us in the room who walks with, with Jesus, knows him, the battle of condemnation is real. It's there. It's in our minds. It's what Paul talks about. Changing the way that we think. When we understand, get to Romans 12, it's the sort of the point where Romans goes from all this sort of understanding the theory of who God is and what he's done for us. And then Romans 12 is, right, okay, now you've got it. Live like this. And one of the first things he talks about is the battle for the mind. And in my mind, there are times when I've just heaped condemnation on myself over and over again. Jesus has taken condemnation. I am not under law. You are not under law. Satan's biggest weapon, is, as I said earlier, is to get at you and accuse you that you are not good enough. Please do not hear what I'm not saying. So I'm not saying don't go home and never pick up your Bible, never pray. I'm not saying that. All right? Just want to make that really clear. Because Oh, Steve said, oh, we don't have to read our Bibles. We don't have to do this. We don't have to do anything. These things help us. They distract us. They teach us. There will be times when you perhaps have great seasons of reading God's word and you are just motoring. And then, there, and believe me, there will be times when it feels like it's the driest thing ever. 
and you're just like, is there anything good in here that I can find? That's just how life goes sometimes. Please keep reading it, but don't read it for God's impressing of you. He's not impressed, but it will, it will help you. So often, condemnation can lead to believers feeling guilt-driven rather than guilt-free. I've been in places where I've been guilt-driven. I felt I've had to do everything. I've had to be everything for everyone. And it can kill you. It can kill you. Don't, don't become like that. Don't go through what I went through. Be guilt-free. For freedom, Christ has set you free is not talking about sin, it's talking about the law. For Christ has set you free, the context that Paul talks about that uh, verse is freedom from law. Freedom from I have to, I have to, I have to, I mustn't, I mustn't, I mustn't. The battle for condemnation is real. Secondly, the gift of righteousness is also real. Don't work hard to be free from your guilt. You can find yourself in a place where you think you're doing quite well. And then, um, then you hear that somebody in the church has been fasting for a week. Ooh, I haven't been doing that. Maybe I should also fast for a week. And then you hear something else and this person's been doing that and doing the other. And you go, oh, they're serving on the soup run and they're doing this and they're doing that. And suddenly you can heap this condemnation on you that you have to, again, keep up the standard. Perhaps you think about, sometimes you think, right, okay, in terms of how I'm going to pray, um, you could have, this could be your prayer morning. Um, uh, Lord, I want to uh, pray for my husband. I want to thank you for him. I want to thank you for all that he does for me. I want to thank you that he's a good man. He's a godly man. Um, I want to I want to. I want to thank you, Lord, that maybe I could do something for him that would 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 do him good, just to encourage him. Um, maybe I could. Um, I could build. Maybe, no, maybe I could make him a meal. That would be nice. He'd like a meal. He'd like, I'll give him his nice favorite food. Yeah, I could do that. Um, uh, yeah, no, I'm going to Tesco's later on today. Uh, yeah, no, I could pick up that and that and that. That. Oh, so, oh, sorry, Lord. Um, no, no, no. I was praying. I was praying. Okay. Um, right. That. Um, we got a missionary Sunday coming up, and um, Lord, I want to pray for the missionary Sunday, and uh, I want to pray for those who are working overseas. I want to thank you for all that they're doing. We look forward to having our, our missionary lunch together, and oh, missionary lunch. Uh, yeah, I said I would make the quiche, didn't I? Um, okay, um, when am I going to get the eggs for the quiche? Oh, actually, I'm going to Tesco's later to get the meal for my husband. And I'll, at the same time, I'll pick up the eggs for this missionary. Oh, well, do you know what? And you can find yourself praying and suddenly, God, I just can't even pray for 30 seconds. And my head is going off in this direction and that direction. And just, I can't do it. Maybe if I read, read the word, maybe, maybe that's what I, I need to do. Okay, I'll get my... Um, I'll get my daily plan out. Oh, I, I'm only 13 days behind. That's okay. Um, but that's all right. That's okay. And right. Um, uh, and he shall remove all the fat from the bull of the sin offering 
the fat that covers the inner parts or is connected to them, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the covering of the liver, which he will remove with the kidneys, just as the fat is removed from the ox, sacrificed as a fellowship offering. And you're reading it and the devil's saying, enjoying your Bible reading today? <laughs> are, you, are you getting something out of that, oh mighty prayer warrior? Are you doing battles in the heavenlies? Sure. We could. It's us, isn't it? It is us. We assess ourselves constantly on our religious performance. Points to be earned. We have a relationship with a father who loves you, for you, as you are. And that's why he came for you. He didn't come to save you and to put you into a religious, law-abiding relationship. He came to take you from that slavery and call you his son and call you his daughter. Do you know, the Old Testament in the law will often show us that as they brought this lamb to be sacrificed, to atone for their sin, this amazing precious lamb perfect in every way you know jesus as you know is our lamb he is our righteousness and when you get hold of that no matter even as fred was bringing that word about being out in the ocean waves there will be days when it feels like you are out in the races in a small boat and there's water coming in and you can't pale it out quick enough. There will be days like that. You've probably had days. There will certainly be days in the future for every one of us. I want you to come back to the one who brought you grace and receive it again. Hebrews 10 tells us that he was an offering for us, perfected for all time. Friends, you are no long, longer under law, but you are under grace. Hallelujah. Father, we just want to thank you for your amazing gift of grace to us. Lord, I thank you that in Christ, we have everything. We have been saved from law. We've been saved from religiosity. And we've been brought into, adopted into this amazing relationship with you. Father, I want to pray grace over every heart in this room. Pray against condemnation to be gone in Jesus' name. I pray for reigning in life through our relationship with Christ. I pray for moments of triumph. I pray that we are more than conquerors through Christ who died for us, is our propitiation, is our everything. 